know, I think that's our generation's onward Christian soldiers song. That to me is a go into battle song, don't you think? He is able, I mean, sing that baby on Thursday a lot of times and pray and read God's word and watch for the greatness of God to be revealed. He is a great and powerful God. Father, we thank you so much uh, that we are invited into your presence and welcomed here by the salvation of Jesus Christ who has brought us the richness of your love, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but by his precious blood that was shed in our place. The punishment that was rightly ours was taken upon himself that we might be saved. And so, our Father, we thank you. We are are singing songs of liberation and freedom this morning. We are singing with thanksgiving in our hearts as we come to terms in limited ways because of human limitations with all that you've done for us, Lord, but, but our hearts soar and we are grateful and we, we are thankful. So, Lord, I pray now that you would turn our attention to the great things you have for us from your word this morning. Uh, feed us, Father. May we be filled with your presence and, and may we um, take this feeding from God's word and may it strengthen our lives and, and may we take a, a, a robust hearts that you produce today and make a difference where you call us Throughout this week, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, how often have you poured out your heart and your soul to the Lord in prayer and wondered if he was listening, if he was hearing you? The, um, the agony is so great, you've come before him, the need is so urgent, the cause on your heart is so apparently in favor of the things of God and the cause of Christ And yet you wonder, because heaven seems to be silent. To all who've been there, this section of God's word this morning is really, I think, going to strengthen and encourage your heart. Because we have in this section, in Daniel chapter 9, we're looking there, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 27. In that text, we're looking at the veil that normally shrouds The heavenly reality, which is normally unseen to us, is peeled back. And we get this opportunity to have a glimpse of the unseen. Now, if there is one discipline that we must not ever, ever lose confidence in, it is prayer. And by the way, it is here, it is at this very discipline that the evil one attacks us most. It is here that he seeks to set up distractions and activities and frustrations and disappointments that he might get God's people to stop praying. And if Satan can get us to stop praying or give up on prayer, in effect, he gets us to give up on God. That's how crucial this is. And so we have here an amazing insight that Daniel received in prayer. And um, in reading the word of God, his heart was moved. In prayer, God was moved. That's what we get out of here and what we know. And and you know that from last week and the earlier part of Daniel chapter 9, that Daniel's great heart passion, his great concern, was as he looked around himself and he realized that, that God's people were not ready for a great work of God. 
They were not ready for a, a great visitation of the Lord because there was sinfulness in their lives. There was apathy in their lives. There was a, a lack of concern, a lack of interest in the things of God. And he realized that they, they just weren't ready for God. And he got down on his knees and he was urgently praying and calling out to the Lord and wondering in his heart, is God listening to me? And, and, and in verse 19 at the end there, he says, listen, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, hear and act, O Lord. He's calling out to the Lord. And um, so we realize that, that Daniel has laid before God the, the sinfulness and sin issues. And he puts it there before God. Now, um, I want to share with you this morning from this text that we're going to read in a few moments. Three great joys that, um, that Daniel gathers from his prayer that are... Beyond really human description, we'll use God's word and God's spirit will minister to you, but, but uh, the great fear is that I couldn't possibly do justice to the majesty of what is gleaned out of this prayer. And by the way, it's going to take me all day to do it. And, uh, so, but we're going to break that up. Uh, we'll come back tonight and we'll go at it again. I'm not going to handle this whole section. It'll be tonight and, and, and this morning. And we still won't really even probably plumb the depths of what I want to do with, you, uh, with respect to this. But we'll, we'll see where the Lord leads us on this. But this is such an amazing section of God's word. God gives us a glimpse of, of, of amazing things. And I'll, I'll take you there on a journey right now. Let's, let's look at the scriptures and then let's make some commentary. I want to uh, pull out three joys, as I said. While I was speaking, this is Daniel, and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel... And making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, the angel, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, I want you to know that the sacrificial system had not begun again. These people were in exile. The temple was sacked back in Jerusalem. But so... Passionate was Daniel for the things of God that he used the time of sacrifice to be a man of prayer. And he offered up the prayer of sacrifice. The sacrifice of prayer. Three times a day he was found in prayer before God. And he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Or, I think better translated, the revelation. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people in your holy city. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on, on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. 
The reason I fear that I can't do even close to justice to this text is because verse 24 alone is the whole New Testament in summary. So you can imagine that how am I going to possibly deal with that, but I'm going to take a shot at it this morning. But let me just say to you that, that as I said, Daniel is praying, he's, he's calling out to the Lord, oh God, hear me, uh, Lord, um, listen to my prayer, um, forgive your people. And the, and the first joy that I think leaps out at him as a result of Gabriel's visitation is that through prayer, we have real connection to God, and through that connection, real perspective and understanding. I, I like, when I, when I looked at this in verse 20 and 21, I realized while there, there's, this, there's this time frame, Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, while I was still in prayer, God sends a message to me. Can you imagine, he says? I mean, if you're wondering if prayer matters, if you're wondering about prayer, this unseen world, the unseen world of results and the reality of the heavenlies is opened up for us that we might see what's really going on. And so he says, while I was in prayer, while I was calling out, while I was crying, while I was urging the Lord to forgive and to hear and to act, And to listen, while I was doing those very things, Gabriel shows up. And I realize that God is already sending the needed gifts and answers that that I require. Look at verse 22. I have now come to give you insight or wisdom and understanding. Because that's what Daniel was going to need. There's an emphasis here, the linkage between faith and the intellect. There's this marriage of the two where the angel comes and says that God is going to grant you by grace a gift that you might understand the things that he's telling you because you're going to need that, that you have come by faith. Although it's a gift, it's going to require thinking about the message. We see that in verse 23. He said, I want you to understand. I want you to consider the message. I want you to, to think about it. I want you to understand the revelation. When, when we come to God's word, he wants us to understand it. He wants us to know what he's telling us. He, he wants to teach us and instruct us by the power of his presence through the Holy Spirit. And what I like, I love this when I read it. Because this is what we wonder about, isn't it? In verse 23, as soon as you begin to pray, Daniel. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given. God didn't wait to hear as if he needs to hear all that you're going to pour out in your heart. You know, God's up in heaven one day. I wonder what they're going to say because I'm, I'm on pins and needles that they'll say something that I can... No, God knows exactly. God leads in our hearts. God leads us. As soon as you begin to pray, Daniel, you know, when you were saying, Lord, please hear. Lord, please act. Lord, please listen. Daniel, you really didn't probably need to say that because as soon as you began to pray, God was listening to you. God was hearing you. And God was answering your prayer because he is a gracious God and a prayer-answering God. That's why, beloved, never, ever give up on prayer. Never, never become discouraged if there are time lags. And I think that's why it's really important for us to look at this. The key thing, that, that a key thought that I'll pull from John in John chapter 15, verse 7, that Jesus stated was this. If you remain in me... And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you will and it shall be done for you. 
Daniel is the classic of that. In fact, it's, it's as if God is coming to Daniel and saying, Daniel, I love you so much. You are highly esteemed. Uh, Daniel, since you remain in me and since my words remain in you, ask away, Daniel. Ask away. Now, make no mistake about this. Scripture is the indivisible companion to a powerful prayer life. If we learn anything from Daniel, we learn that he was a man of God's word. And as he poured into God's word, the word of God remained in him. And when he prayed, the word of God came forth from him. That's what we learned in the early part of Daniel chapter 9, why his prayer was so powerful, because he was praying back the theology of God. In order to pray with power, to get answers, to be heard, you must nourish yourself on the bread of life. It's there for you. Because the answer Daniel needed and got was in fact the purpose of God all along. What was Daniel asking for? Daniel was asking for the fact that that God would turn the people's hearts toward God. That God would forgive their sinfulness. That was the purpose of God all along as he's going to reveal and show to Daniel in these next several verses we're going to look at this morning. Um, We need to recognize that that God was about to take Daniel on a voyage that was grander and more than he could have ever imagined. It, it's, it's, it reminds me of the prayer of, in Ephesians chapter 3 when Paul gets on his knees and prays. And then at the end he says, God is able to do more than you could ever imagine or think, ask or think, in Ephesians 3.20. And this is what happens here. Daniel, if you remember, Daniel is praying about the 70, this, this, this 70 years of exile. That, that's all that's on Daniel's heart and all that's on Daniel's mind. He's burdened by that. He's, he's founded in the word of God and the prophecy of Jeremiah. He's calling out to the Lord. He's, he's calling out on behalf of the sins of his people because he's concerned that, that the sins are hampering or going to hamper the things that God is about to do. And God is saying to him, Daniel, I'm about to do something that you would have never imagined. I'm about to take the concerns that are on your hearts about the sinfulness of people and I'm about to magnify the results and the response to that in ways that you have not yet even considered. Daniel, I'm going to deal with sin. But the 70 year thing, Daniel, I want you to consider the message and I want you to understand the revelation. The 70 years of exile is is something, and it's important, but I want to talk to you about something that is a grand vision that's going to span over the next 490 years, Daniel. Now that I've got you on the 70 thing, Daniel, I want to take you to the 70 times 7 thing, Daniel. That's what it says in verse 24. I want you to consider this message. Uh, uh, now that you've considered the message uh, of uh, the 70 years, I want you to understand the revelation of the 70 times 7 years. You are, um, Daniel, locked into your localized prayer concerns. I want to take you bigger than that. 
Because the scriptures are full of the spectacular, the eternal power of God. James um, reminded us in his epistle that we have not because we ask not. But sometimes we don't ask because we don't know of the great things that God has promised in his word for those who will just simply ask and take advantage of all the things that God has promised us from his word. By the way, this, for the most part, was not going to be new stuff. Isaiah had already talked about these things that are going to be presented. Jeremiah had talked about these things. The prophets who were to follow were going to be talking about these things. Sometimes we're so fixated in our own lives, on our localized concerns, and we go to prayer only about our localized concerns, and we don't pay attention to the fact that God has bigger and more amazing things in mind than we could have ever imagined. You see, um, the prophet Isaiah reminded us that regularly our ways and our thoughts are way too grounded. That, that God looks at the things we ask for and the things that we're thinking about and says, wait a second, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth, so are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. That's what Daniel's about to encounter here in practical application. That's what makes, um, that's what makes worship, spectacular worship, the, the gathering and the corporate gathering of God's people in worship so powerful and so important. Whether we come together and, 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 and pour into the scriptures together or we pour into prayer together or we pour into the songs of praise together, it, it causes us to lift our eyes from the mundane and from the, the day-to-day localized concerns. And we lift our eyes up. Where does my help come from? I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He wants to get us lifted up. Because that's where God is. Keep in mind that um, regularly we are locked into the idea that, that God is... Near, and he is that. He's a friend that sticks closer to a brother. But sometimes that's all we want of God when, in fact, the Bible teaches that God is the God who's far off and far away as well. A powerful God who sits over the great affairs of the universe. And our lives fit into the great purposes of God for the universe. Keep in mind as well that the last time anybody saw Jesus, he was heading into the stratosphere, right? In Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11, men, why do you stand there gazing up into, the, up into the clouds? This same Jesus who has gone up will in like wise come back, in like manner come back. But the last time we saw him, he was going away, far, far away. He's a God who is near and a God who is far off. And here's the, here's the rub, I think, for us practically in our prayer lives. We must resist the urge to become impatient with God when he doesn't act as a personal assistant, cranking out administrative errands according to our fast-paced expectations. That's really what I want to accomplish in prayer. That's what I'm hoping will happen in prayer. Oh, by the way, Lord, I got this thing. Can you take care of that next five minutes? And God was taking Daniel away from this, God, this 70-year thing. It's, it's, it's upon us. 
The deadline's coming. Have you paid any attention? Have you noticed that we're not ready? Have you noticed that we're sinful? Uh, Is this exile thing going to be delayed? Because that's what I'm focused on. And I'm focused on the fact that Jerusalem is sacked and the temple is down. And all of those things are really mattering to me. And Lord, as my personal assistant, could you please take care of all of this stuff? Could you please listen? Could you please hear? Could you please act? Could you please forgive? And God says, I've got a big idea in mind, Daniel. That encompasses your concerns, but spans eternity. I think that's why the angels showed up. To remind Daniel that this prayer deal was not about to be grounded in earth, but was to take him to a celestial God dominating the affairs of the universe. And that we should be careful not to get lost in the immediate all the time and forget that we operate in the playing field of the eternal. Nevertheless, on Daniel's heart is still, okay, Lord, but what about evil? Isn't that the question we have in our own lives? I mean, wouldn't this world be great if there was no evil? I mean, wouldn't your day be wonderful if there was no evil? That's where Daniel's coming here and saying, "This, this evil thing is wrecking the world, Lord. You showed me all the visions of the nations and the beasts and horrible nations that are fiercely devouring each other and and causing all kinds of carnage and ruining people's lives. God, why don't you just take care of evil? That's what Daniel's asking for. That's what we pray about. That's that's what we're thinking. God, you're so powerful. You're over all things in the universe. Why don't you just, like, take care of it? And God says, okay. I'm going to. And that's where we go in verse 24. That evil, God is telling Daniel, is going to be eradicated. And eternal righteousness is to be established. You have no idea about the big plans I have, Daniel. But let me just tell you, I've got six goals. Six goals that I intend to accomplish for your people in your city. Six goals that I have and intend to accomplish for your people, meaning the people of Israel, the Jews, and for your city, meaning Jerusalem. And of course, to the Old Testament saint who is brought into an awareness of this, that's the, the, the scope of what's going to happen here. But to us New Testament saints, the realization is that, that God had an amazing and wonderful plan that was going to... Ex- Expand his purposes to include Gentiles. Ephesians chapter 2 will tell you that. And so he talks now about the 70 years, Daniel, as being just an appetizer. Uh, this is an appetizer to get you into something really big. I want to talk to you about 77's decreed. And I'm going to talk more about this tonight, but uh, the 77's is a is, is language that comes right out of Leviticus 25, and they were weeks of Sabbath. They were 70 times 7 years or 490 years. Daniel, there's going to be a span of 490 years where I'm going to take care of evil once and for all. That's what he's saying here. 490 years, 70 times 7, there'll be this three distinct key increments in the redemptive history that are outlined in this text, there'll be 
Seven times seven or 49 years, there'll be 62 seven, 62 times seven, and there'll be one seven for a total of 70 sevens or 70 weeks of years. Daniel, this is what I'm going to do. You've seen uh, how, how the nations have, have arrayed, Daniel. I've given you great visions of, uh, of the nations and their response to sin. Now, I want to tell you, Daniel, about my response to sin. Now, I want you to understand this message in Revelation. And here are the six goals. The first three are God's answer to Daniel's specific concerns about sin. The grounds, theologically, on which God can forgive sin. The last three are how God intends to fulfill his own righteousness, his own right ways. God is merciful and forgiving, verse 9. Therefore, he's going to deal with sin. But how is he going to deal with sin? Well, he's going to tell us here. And then Daniel points out three times in this text that the Lord is righteous. Verse 7, verse 14, verse 16. And so... The Lord's righteousness or right ways are going to be, he's going to demonstrate how that's going to happen. Now, as I said to you, we're talking in this one verse, verse 24, about virtually all of New Testament redemptive theology. How How could we begin to exhaust that in the next 20 minutes? So I'm just going to give you samplers. I'm going to give you a taste. There are texts that you need to look at yourself. But let me just run down the six goals, the six goals that God has to deal with sin. The first is this. He says, I'm going to put a finish to transgression. Daniel, my first goal is I'm going to put a finish to transgression. I'm going to put a finish to the deadly hold that sin has over people's eternal destiny. God is going to finally put an end to rebellion. The disposition that sin, the disposition to sin rather than to submit to God. Daniel, you won't know this until it's written in the New Testament, but the sting of death is sin. And I'm going to deal with that. The wages of living in a, as a fallen human are sin. So, Daniel, I, I'm promising that I'm going to stop because I can, I can cause people to stop sinning and rebelling and start obeying. That, that's my great and grand plan for people, Daniel. That, that, that I, want to, I want to make it possible for them to destine to, to live in the right ways of God. Not in the sinful, selfish ways. Because we all know that sin ruins our lives. It ruins everything. And at the end, it smacks us in the face as it kills us on the way out. The final parting shot for the wages of sin is death. It is appointed unto man, woman, once to die, and after this, the judgment. Secondly, I'm going to put an end to sin. The, the word that's used here is seal. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to state it as it's, I'm going to put a lockdown on sin. The idea of seal can be, two, can go in two directions. Seal can be you know, put a signet ring and authorize it. I'm going to put my seal of approval on or seal. Well, there's no way God's going to seal and put a seal of approval on sin. But the other way is to seal is just to seal something tight. They put a seal on the tomb 
uh, hopefully, allegedly to try and keep the uh, crucified Christ in the tomb. They weren't able to do that, but they, they sealed the tomb. And God says, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to seal up sin. Uh, I, I'm going to put an end to it. I'm going to, to seal it totally. In Micah chapter 7, verse, 17, or verse 19, uh, the, the prophecy there is that, that God promises that to tread our sins underfoot, there will be a day, and he will hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walking before him in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, Behold, look there, the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. And then in Colossians chapter 2, that amazing text of theology in verses 13 through 15 where Paul writes this, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, and he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Daniel, someday I'm sealing this thing away. I'm nailing it to the cross. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Daniel, I'm going to seal, I'm going to put a lockdown on sin. Thirdly, Daniel, I, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to atone for wickedness. When an Old Testament saint heard the word atone, atonement, they were thinking blood sacrifice. And the big problem for God is this, how can he forgive, how can he release, how can he reconcile sinful people to himself? The Old Testament saints knew all about that. They were slaughtering animals all the time. How can we get right with God? Is it going to be through the blood of bulls and goats? Daniel, I'm going to atone. This is is language beyond his imagination. That God himself was going to find a way to legitimately and legally take care of the very big problem of very bad stuff. A sacrifice of a non-guilty subject who could take the full force and fall for others. Who could plea bargain with God And he would be merciful and just at the same time because of this great salvation. That's what Paul noticed in Romans. In that great text in Romans chapter 3. When Paul writes in verses 25 and 26, God presented him, Christ Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Daniel, how can God take care of this very big problem and forgive and release and reconcile and remain righteous and just? By offering himself as a sacrifice. 
making it possible for us to be in good space with God. No longer to feel ashamed or guilty to come to him or embarrassed to come before him. Daniel, someday I'm going I'm to cause all that to happen. And, and then once I've, once I've taken care of that sin problem, Daniel, once, once uh, sin is done away with, then I, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna bring in everlasting righteousness. I'm going to cause God's right ways to be the only way for all eternity. Isn't that the longing of our hearts, isn't it? Isn't the longing of our hearts every day? We, we, we wish that God's ways would be done. We wish that God's right ways would be done. When we appeal to somebody under some circumstance, all we're wishing for is God's right way to be done. We, we all know that if God's right ways are not done, somebody's going to get hurt. We know that in our hearts, and so it's our longing, our longing all the time. And, and Daniel's longing was that the people would walk in God's right ways. That was the burden on his heart, that they might be returned from exile and walk in God's right ways. And he was thinking, how are we ever going to do this in our humanness? We're sinful. We don't want God's ways. And God says, Daniel, I have such amazing great news for you. Someday... I'm going to make it possible for people to walk in God's right ways. And I'm going to make it an everlasting reality. That's the power of this presentation of this amazing love letter from God to Daniel. I'm going to make this happen. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are that find that way or choose that way. But the one problem, as Jeremiah points out in Jeremiah 23, 6, is the Lord alone is righteous. And Daniel's wondering, how in the world, Lord, is it going to be all righteous? How in the world is it going to be everlasting righteousness as long as people are a part of this, as long as people are around? And, and God was giving him into this new insight of justification by faith alone. It's an amazing reality. We don't have time to, to turn to the text, but, but in Zechariah, the prophet there responds, to how, how is everlasting righteousness going to be brought in? Because that would mean that humans would need a holy renovation. And Zacharias says, here's what's going to happen to all of you who are clothed in, in dirty garments. God himself is going to take his clean garments and put them on you. And you will be viewed by God as clean. And how is that going to happen? How did the Old Testament saint envision that? They really couldn't. But we, New Testament saints, know. That's why Paul, the apostle, wrote at the end at, at, on Romans 3.22, a righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. How are people going to be viewed as righteous before God? Because God himself is going to clothe them in Christ. That's how an everlasting righteousness will come. And so, um, in all of this, the fifth goal, he says, is I'm going to seal up vision and prophecy. Daniel, here's what I want you to know, that Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those prophets you're reading and all that they're saying about me, I'm putting my stamp of approval on it. I'm going to make this thing happen. I'm going to cause the fulfillment of all that I've promised. And God's people can bank on the promises of God. What he has promised you, he will fulfill. He will cause to be. He will make it happen. And then finally he says, and to anoint the most holy. 
Daniel's vision, as you know, was very small. He just wanted the temple reconsecrated. And, and when, when he thought of anoint, he was thinking of the full force of God's spirit. The promise here is that God is going to put the full force of his spirit upon the person or place of his choosing. And in this case, because he takes us into the next section in verse 25 and on, in this case, he's talking about the anointed one, Messiah. All of this, verse 24, is entirely Christocentric. It's all about the coming of Messiah. It's all about what God is going to do through Messiah, Jesus Christ. In 539 BC, Daniel just wanted the temple reconsecrated. And God lifts up his eyes. Lift up your eyes, Daniel, and see the great and amazing and wonderful things that I'm about to do. I'm going to send Messiah to take care of the sin problem of people for all eternity. Matthew 12, verse 6 and 41 and 42, declare that the Lord's anointed was to be a man. That's why Jesus stood before the skeptics and, the, and, and those who, who, who refused to believe and said, greater, a greater one than Jonah is here. A greater one than Solomon is here. A greater one than the temple is here. Because I am the dwelling of God. I am the living God. And the subject of this prophetic vision, of course, was partially accomplished in the first advent of the Lord. But the full consummation is yet to come. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.10, in the fullness of time, times, that is the summing of all things in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15.28, when all things are subjected to him, there is coming that reality. And I've already given you a hint, I've already given you a tip off of the final and third joy of this morning. As Daniel is brought into prayer with God and as he's on his knees in prayer calling out to the Lord with urgency to deal with the sin problem and fulfill the, the promise of the 70 years and returning from exile and he learns that, that God responds to prayer because he's a prayer answering God and he's righteous and he is, going to, he, he is listening to Daniel and then he says to Daniel, but Daniel, I, I want you to lift up your heart. I want you to lift up your eyes. I want you to lift up your thinking. I want you to lift up and look at the splendor and glory of God and the greatness of his universal purposes for mankind. And I want to tell you that I am going to deal with the sin problem. That's the third joy is I'm going to eradicate sin. I'm going to deal with it. And and then this third joy is, and then here's how I'm going to do it. It's going to be through my anointed one. And Daniel, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to give you the mathematics that will be able to detail to the very year when the anointed one will be anointed. The baptism of Jesus Christ. Be 490 years from the decree to rebuild and restore Jerusalem and the temple. And tonight, I'm going to tell you how that math all works. I have to save that for tonight because there are all kinds of stuff we have to look at. But let me just say that there are several things that have to, have to take place here. Sorry, not 409, 483 years. Seven times 69. Seven times 69. So this third joy is the coming of Messiah, and the end is not only promised, but outlined in detailed calendar of times and events. For us, post-Jesus, 
there is a possibility and temptation for us to go, ho-hum, big deal. But almost 500 years before it's, it's, it's coming to pass, Daniel the prophet is told with grand detail the New Testament theology of redemption that I've just shared with you that we have at our disposal. Can you let that set in? I mean, the coming of Messiah is prophesied here in a very powerful way. Prediction of Messiah's first advent and the circumstances, not only of his first advent, but the final consummation of all things. Right here. So I just wrap it up by saying there are four things that are pointed out to us here. And, and, And we are to know and understand this. Verse 25. Know and understand this, Daniel. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, a total of 69 sevens or 483 years. In 483 years from the issuing of the decree, Daniel, whenever that is, Messiah. The scoffers in Palestine and the so-called scholars of God's word had these very prophecies. They were religious, but they had not invested their life in God, and they couldn't see, and they couldn't understand, and they couldn't know. And after that, verse 6, the anointed one will be cut off, The word here is karath. The same word that's used for blood sacrifice. The cutting of a covenant. Daniel, Messiah, will be connected to a blood sacrifice. Almost 500 years before. And then we'll have nothing. That, that word uh, is translated in some Greek, uh, some choices on Greek translation of this is without trial or unjustly. And, and then after that, Daniel, the, the city and the temple will be again destroyed. You mean the temple that will be rebuilt and the city that will be restored will, after Messiah, be destroyed again? Yes. In 70 AD, the Roman general Titus rolled into Jerusalem and sacked the city and destroyed the temple. And Daniel, there's one last week in these weeks of years. And in that final last week, there will be a firm covenant, a peace treaty made that's related to the Holy Land, the reality of Jerusalem, the reality of God's people of Israel. And in the middle of that, there will be an order to cease worshiping, to cease sacrifice, by the way, terminology, blood sacrifice, and offering, grain offering. And there will be an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. An amazing sweep of redemption history while Daniel was on his knees in prayer 
that has piece by piece been fulfilled with the exception of the final last week. And tonight we'll talk about that. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much for these three joys that are really stunning. The joy that in prayer we are connected with you. The joy, Father, that that you have promised the end of sin, the eradication of sin. You have come good on your promise through Jesus Christ, and yet there is still coming the final consummation of all of that when for everlasting time, for eternal time, it will be all of the right ways of God. And then this great promise and grand promise of Messiah who has come and has taken care of the sin issue, the sin realities, and then, Father, this prophecy of the final conclusion of all things that is yet to be accomplished. And based upon the veracity of your prophecy and its fulfillment of all the things we have encountered here this morning, we have no reason to doubt the veracity uh, and accomplishment of the fulfillment of what you say is yet to come. We realize, Father, that you are the one who is writing tomorrow's newspapers, and you have granted to us insight into the end. And I pray now, Father, that we would recognize what Christ has done for us in this issue of sin, who has liberated us. We are no longer captive. We've been set free. Oh, Father, I pray that you, we as God's people, as we ponder these things and, and take note of all that we've, we've covered this morning in this, in this panorama of redemption, Lord, I pray that we will allow it to sink in and, 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 and cause our hearts to, to well up with praise and thanksgiving. You have saved us. You have promised to save us. And we are enabled to serve you, no longer rebel against you, and to live in your ways, Lord, through your strength and your love for us. And it's our grand desire, Lord, because you are a God who is unwilling that any should perish, that this reality, the redemptive reality of a Christ who came and died and rose again, that our sins might be forgiven, that whosoever would believe in him, that, that we would receive the righteousness of Christ by faith in Christ, and that we could be brought into your amazing family for all time, forever. To this, Lord, we pay tribute to you as we lift up our hearts in song and as we recommit ourselves to the great cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. I tried to think of what it must have been like to be Daniel who was looking around at his people and so discouraged for them and in pain for them, captive to their sinfulness and longing for them to be set free. And in this grand moment, he gets on his knees and prays and begs God to do something. And God sends him this majestic love letter of redemption and says, Daniel, I will take care of this sin problem. I will make it possible for people to live free before God. I will bring in my right ways of righteousness for all eternity. And then I thought about all of the scholars, the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus the time of Jesus as they interacted with him, the Messiah, Redeemer, who had come to set them free. And they had this majestic love letter from Daniel. And they failed 
We failed to embrace it. And it brings us to our time right now. This majestic love letter of the freedom from sin has been given to us all over again by God's word through Jesus Christ who died for us. Have you embraced the soul-freeing message of Christ Jesus who set us free from our sinfulness to all those who by faith trust in him? That's our burden for those kids up at that university in Durham College who are captive in their sinfulness. This message is for them. If you've never responded to that message, God offers it to you right now, today. Receive it. Let him free you from your sin that you might serve him for all eternity. Father, what a great, great thing to know that your plan for us was purposed from before the foundation of the world. And you are a God who's just and merciful and a forgiving God and a prayer-answering God and always have been. That's who you are. And you have dealt with sin through Christ Jesus. And now, Father, it is our privilege to embrace the life-transforming work of Christ Jesus to live in your right ways. Father, our great desire is that everyone here would do that would choose that, would receive and respond to that, and that our region, our schools, our colleges, our universities, that people would get saved in this region and would begin a great cause of Christ across this country and across the world because you have set us free. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious and powerful name we pray, amen.